good morning. Glad you're here. sermon pulled up here. We're in the book of Isaiah. We'll be in the book probably through the end of October, and then we'll move on to something else. Haven't quite figured out yet to do in that in-between time between October and Christmas, but we'll get through it. You know, I have to sometimes question, what are we living for? Why, why are we here on this third rock from the sun? I mean, you, you look, at, look at creation and, and you look at the, the space where, we're, where, where the planet sits. Is, it's, it's the perfect place. Any place else in, the, in the, our solar system, you would not survive. Humans cannot live. We have water. We have oxygen. We have the, uh, planets and the moon that protect us from... Uh, asteroids and from meteors that fall from different places. And throughout history, man has tried to figure out why we're on this planet. Now, if you were to ask an a, a atheist and an evolutionist, they'll tell you, well, you know, from goo to you by way of the zoo. You know, that's basically what they believe. They believe that we started, something happened, a chemical reaction happened, and all of a sudden life was created, and throughout millions of years we have progressed to the point now where we are, I think, de-evolving back into that goo, <laughs> to be honest with you. So what is the meaning of our lives? What is the meaning of history? Why are we in this place? Why are we here today on this world? Now, if you if you ask a biblical scholar, they'll probably tell you what I believe it is, is that the real meaning of history is that God is proving that through Jesus Christ, how much he loves sinners. How much he wants to bless, and to bless our, our ruined human lives. He loves us so much that he actually delights in us. Now, just like the Jews long ago, we at times we feel that God has maybe forsaken us. We think that, that God is not listening to us, that, that God has forgotten about us. We think we're abandoned. But then all of a sudden there are times when God steps into our lives and he changes the subject. And this is what the gospel does. The gospel has changed the storyline of our history and the storyline of our present and the storyline of our future. See, when we surrender our lives to Christ, when we put our trust in Him, we are no longer defined by our past. And I think that's something that humans today struggle with. They struggle with, you know, I, I'm, I'm this way because of my parents. I'm, I'm that way because of something that happened to me in the past. But the reality is, is that Jesus, you know, all things are made new. The old is gone. The new has come. We are no longer defined by the past. We are no longer guided and directed by the evil that we've done in the past. He gives us a new name, and this name, and I'm don't you know, don't go changing your business cards, don't go be changing your driver's license, but your name is Hipsabub. Hipsabah, actually, there's no B in the end. His, hip, his, <laughs> it's hard to say. Hipsabah, that is what your name is, believe it or not. Did you know that? That's what God calls you. 
And we're going to encounter this name in Isaiah 62. And I want you to know this, not, this name means my delight is in her. That's what that word means. And that's what God calls us. God rewrites our future. He looks at us and he tells us as he did, as he, the writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 13:5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now you got to wonder, how strong does the love of God have to be that no matter what I do, he will never leave me or forsake me. No matter what I've done in my past, no matter who I'm trying to define myself by, he will never leave me or forsake me. That love is a passionate love that's full of gladness because he delights in us. I've never seen anybody delight in anything with a frown on their face. You know, we delight in things, we smile, it brings us joy. This, this love of God is the high-octane fuel that, that we, we need for the joy that we talked about last week. We, we, we need the love of Christ. We, we, we need that in order for us to have joy. And here Isaiah is going to proclaim it with zeal that I think today is missing in the church. He devotes his life to promoting the love of God for his people. And here's how he begins in Isaiah 62. I'm not going to read the whole verse, the whole chapter all the way through, so I'm not going to have you stand today. He says, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silence. I won't be quiet. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. So what is it? What is, what is prompting Isaiah to not keep silent? It's the same thing that today that should move all of us to speak out. True salvation no longer goes out from Zion. His people or from the church today. I, I, I think the church is falling short of the commission that we were given. Oh, we're good. The big churches are good at gathering people in. We're not good at sending people out. Oh, we send missionaries. We send our money out. But do we go to our neighbors? Do we go to our friends? Do we talk to the, the person on the street that we meet? Do we talk to the person in the grocery store? Do we, do we listen to their story? Do we tell them about Christ? See, at that time, at Isaiah's time, the Jerusalem was not the city it was supposed to be. They were supposed to be a beacon to the nations to draw them back to God. And they were failing. And guess what? The church is failing today. And that's why you turn off your phones. I forgot to put it on vibrate. See, here's what I do. I either forget to put it on vibrate or I leave it on vibrate all day and everybody tries to call me. There's no winning. I, 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 I should just, I wish I could just throw it away, but I can't. Where was I? Oh, yes. <laughs> the church no longer, the, the righteous glory of the church is no longer going out. We have replaced the passion for the church with the passions of the world. See, God, God has created the church. He created it as the human delivery system for the joy 
that is inexpressible and full of glory. That's his plan. That's what he put us here for. There is no plan B. That is what's supposed to be happening. And it's not. For quite some time, I think, American Christians, we have... We would stood our ground against revival. Yes, I know. Down at Asbury, there was a revival. Have you heard anything about it recently? Have you heard anything about the result of it recently? Has it been spreading? Well, there's now I heard there's one in Auburn. Not Auburn, Indiana. Auburn University. I'm thinking, okay, great. Great. But where's it going? The church, the Western church, as a full body, resists revival we dull our senses to the point that we struggle to feel the pull of the holy spirit we no longer feel the holy spirit pulling on us i'm not saying everybody but i'm saying in general that's what i'm seeing in the churches today we've created this hybrid version of christianity that doesn't even think about the loyalty to the church for the sake of zion but here isaiah is saying for zion's sake and believe me, Zion is the church. Because we're the people. Remember what I said, what is the glory of Zion? The glory of Zion, I said this two weeks ago, the glory of Zion are the redeemed people of God. So guess what? If you're in this church and you're a redeemed person, you're part of Zion. For our sake, for the sake of the church, we need, we need to speak the gospel which is missing in our churches today. We live, many times people in churches live free-floating lives of convenience. Our lives in the church are filled with church hopping, self-protective, and me-first Christianity. And so far, I don't even think God even recognizes that anymore. I think he looks at his bride and says, what have you become? We know, in fact, that Scripture tells us in the book of Revelation Actually, it's actually what is in Thessalonians, actually. There's going to be a great apostasy. Apostasy is a falling away. The church is going to fall away from God. See, because a life that is focused on Zion's sake will be a life that works, prays, tithes, and gets involved in the church. But our churches are filled with generations that are fearful of, and they want to avoid that kind of, you know, that, that gusty intentionality of being part of the church. Now, understand, I know it hasn't been always perfect. I know that throughout all generations, there are those who are part of the church, but not part of the church. We know for a fact that, uh, I think it was James, I can't remember where it's at in Scripture, it was James that said, you know, oh no, it, yeah, it was James that said that they go out from us, but they were not part of us. They were with us, and they left, and they went out, but they weren't part of us, because they're teaching something completely different. This is why I'm, I'm concerned, and maybe probably one of the topics that we'll discuss in months forward um, with the roundtable is this idea of ecumenicalism, the whole idea of let's bring all the religions together under one. In fact, that will be a topic that we'll add to the list sooner or later. It's, there's a push even in, within the evangelical churches to do that, and it's dangerous. So what has happened in the church? We, we no longer 
We're no longer looking at the gospel. We're not changed by the gospel anymore, but more changed by individualistic devotion to ourselves. Add to this the amount of hurt that's been caused within the church by the church. Some of the hardest moments in my life have been in the church. The most difficult times I've had in my life have involved the church. Why should anyone want to come to church? I ask that question. Well, obviously, the reason why we should come to church is because of God. God has made an everlasting covenant with the church. He didn't just go to Peter and say, okay, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Peter, and you alone, and you spread it throughout the churches. No, he made a covenant with the church. He made a covenant with the 12 disciples, the 11 disciples at that point, but he made it a covenant with them, and they made it with all, and they made a covenant with the church in full, not just one individual. We have a tendency in our in our country and in our in our nation and our in our churches to individualize our Christianity. It's not an individual religion because we are the church together. We need to come to church because of God, because God loves the church. He's given the church salvation to go forth as a burning torch. You know, we, we may need to re-embrace Christ by re-embracing the church. And yes, we're going to get hurt. Why? Because there's humans in the church. That's, that's why I'm so adamant about how we deal with conflict. It's written in our bylaws, and yet I find it very difficult at times to see people actually going according to the Bible and according to the bylaws. If, a brother has, if you have a problem with a brother, you go to him. And you confront him kindly, but you do it. And if they don't listen to you, you take somebody with you, else with you the next time. And if that doesn't work, then you bring them in front of the church. Now, I don't believe we bring them in Sunday morning, we air their grievances, I think you take them to the elders. And the elders at that point will do what we need to do in order to, to either discipline the person or tell the people you need to, you know, let's resolve this now. We don't do that anymore. We just leave. Or... We sue each other. I'm not going to name names. Not in this church, but in our denomination, that's what just happened. They didn't go according to the Bible. They went according to man's law, and it just got ugly. No matter what side you're on, it got ugly. See, if you're having a problem with the church, the problem may not be the church. The problem may be your relationship with Christ because we're not following biblical guidelines. The church makes mistakes. I know. It, it's Like I say, it's full of faulty humans and leaders that make the same mistakes that you make. But see, we're supposed to love each other. And I think we've forgotten that the church is to be the place where we agree at times to disagree and still maintain the unity. Instead, we're afraid to confront. In the process, we're afraid to confront ourselves and our part in it. And many times I've had to I'm, I'm to blame. It's my fault. I understand. But if I don't know, if I don't see it and you don't tell me, how could you expect me to change? It's like telling my kids. I tell my kids, you're, if I tell my kids, you are not to do this. Do, you've got to change your behavior. And if they don't change their behavior, they can't come to me and say, well, you didn't tell me. But if I expect for them to change their behavior and never tell them, then shame on me because I never instructed them that that's what you need to do. So when we have an issue, we need to talk to each other and work it out. 
We want the easy route. We want the easy route to salvation and sanctification. In the 1800s, Charlotte Elliott, she's the one who wrote Just As I Am. There she is. Ladies, aren't you glad you don't have to wear hats like that now? And that was the time, and that's the way it was. But she wrote Just As I Am. But she also wrote a classic hymn called Christian Seek Not Yet Repose. Now, that word repose is a word that probably most of us don't have any idea what that means. That word means resting. So the song is basically, Christians, seek not yet your rest. Don't stop. The, verse, the first verse starts out with, Christians, seek not yet not repose. Hear thy guardian angels say, thou art in the midst of foes. Watch and pray. I mean, I love modern worship music. I really do. The, the actual biblical stuff, the orthodox stuff that actually go, comes from Scripture. But you know, the messages in the old hymns are timeless. Do, do we understand, we, do we misunderstand something that they got back then? Or did, are we understanding something that they missed? I think, I think we missed something. I think that if God were to pour out His power on us today that we would probably waste it on ourselves instead of for the glory of Zion. We'd reinforce our, our selfish patterns and our religiosity. I know I would. I mean, that's, that's the human response. It's not naturally human to be self-sacrificial. It's not. We have to work at it. We have to plan for it. We have to be intentional about it. But we need to be because Christ was. Our first step should be to recommit ourselves to the church and to join the church in reaching the lost and the brokenhearted in the world. For now we, we are to go to reach the world. But Isaiah is seeing a time, he's seeing a time where no longer will the church be going out to reach people because people will be coming to the church. People will be coming to Zion. In verse 2 he says, The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name, that the mouth of the Lord will give you. That's that his bashah. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her. And your land married, for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married for as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall God rejoice over you. We are the bride of Christ. When Christ returns, God tells, the Father tells him, go get your bride. And he's the groom. Now obviously, Isaiah in these verses are probably, is probably looking forward to the time that Israel is going to be rebuilt. It's going to be brought back from their, their exile in Babylon. And it would be rebuilt, and the land would be repopulated. But he also, again, we see these double visions. We see he's a little bit forward into when, 70 years from then, when Israel's going to be rebuilt. But he also sees further to the new kingdom that's coming, to the church. See, Zion's population is always increasing. As, as the church becomes more and more glorious, it gets bigger and bigger. 
And it won't be because we have an awesome band. It won't be because we have, you know, all these awesome programs. It won't be because, you know, the stage is huge and we got the lights and the fog machine and, and, and it's a Sunday morning experience. That's not what's going to make the church grow. It's going to be because the bride of Christ is adorned with the righteousness and the salvation of the bridegroom. And God will delight in us. The prophet Zephaniah wrote in 317, he says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God loves the bride of Christ. He loves the church. He sings love songs to his bride. Think about what that sounds like for God to sing to us. I mean, I've, I've heard some really good singers in my day. I, I've, I've heard some quartets that, man, the bass, he can get down there to where he's rattling the floor with his voice. And the, and the tenor, he's up here high where he's breaking glass with his voice. And they're all melding. the. I've heard some beautiful music. But I can tell you now, it pales in comparison to when God sings over us. When we hear this with our hearts, we're going to swell and we'll drink in the beauty of the glory of God. And the beauty of that is, and this is something that's in the future going to happen, because that's what Isaiah is talking about. The beauty is that we can get a part of that today. We should love the church now. We should be committed to work, to the work of the church of Jesus Christ right now. We should love Zion by growing in holiness, helping our brothers and sisters do the same. Discipling each other, praying with and for each other, holding each other accountable, speaking the word of God to each other, and growing in holiness. See, when we do this, do this, the radiance of Zion is going, the church is going to grow. The problem in many churches today is they don't speak words of kindness. They don't speak words of love. They don't speak words of encouragement. They tear down. They destroy. They gossip. But see, you and I, that's not supposed to be us. We're supposed to be watchmen of the wall. Um, verse 6 and 7 says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. Now, I thought about that, and it's kind of odd, because normally a watchman on the wall, he's standing there, he's, they're looking out, they're watching, they're listening, they wouldn't be saying a whole lot. Because they're watching. And when something would happen, then they would call, call the alarm. They would sound the alarm, and then people would get up. But here it says, All day and all night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. You and I are the watchmen. We are not, we don't don't leave church on Sunday morning and turn off our Christianity. We don't leave on Sunday morning and not think about any of this the rest of the day. And I'm not saying that we all have to go out and stand on the corner and be corner, you know, preachers in the corner. But what I want to tell you is in every moment of your life, God puts people there that you can speak to and draw them just a little bit closer to Christ. The question is, are you aware that that's what you're doing? Nine times out of ten, maybe not. Maybe you're just naturally doing that. That's how God's using you. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes we push people away. And we need to draw them to Christ. 
We are watchmen, sentries on a wall, keeping our eyes peeled for what God is doing in the world. We are to be relentless, never giving up, proclaiming what God is doing, fully devoted to the glory of Zion. We're on the Lord's watch. We have to watch and we have to pray. It's hard work. I get tired of it sometimes, but I have to do it. We need to be praying for the missions that around the world, in our own neighborhoods. We need to be praying for the gospel to be spread to the ends of the earth. We need to be like that persistent widow that we see in the story that Jesus tells in Luke 18. He says that he told this parable to the effect that they ought to pray and not lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who never feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while, see, even, even the courts back then were corrupt. They were. They always have been. For a while he refused. But afterwards he said to himself, Though I never, ne- never neither fear God nor respect man, well, that's a great judge, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continually coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to the elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You see, what Jesus is saying is, see, this unrighteous judge who did not fear God and did not respect man was willing to give this woman justice because she was bothering him. And he wanted her to to be quiet, to stop. So he says, fine, I'm going to give her justice. And he's saying, but see, we have a God who's our judge who is much greater than that. He is much more loving than that. If we keep pestering him, and yes, we are to pester God. We are to pray to him unceasingly. We are to cry out to him daily, moment by moment, for what is on our hearts. And if we do, he will give us justice. Because he's, he's not evil like the, other, the, the unrighteous judge. But even so, even though God gives us justice, Jesus has to ask, will he find faith on this earth? When Christ comes back, will he even find faith? Even after God does justice, we must never rest. We have to be passionately interceding for the spread of the gospel. So what is your prayer life like? Do you pray sacrificially for the lost? Do you pray sacrificially for the world to hear the gospel? Do you pray sacrificially for your children to hear the gospel? Do you pray sacrificially for your neighbors to hear the gospel? Do you pray sacrificially for our community to hear the gospel? Pray without ceasing. Don't give up. Bother God. Keep praying and asking Him. There's a, an acronym that we can use for this. is When we pray, we're supposed to push. Mom always taught me, don't push. Don't push your brothers. Don't push your brother, right? We're to push. We're to pray until something happens. Don't give up. Don't rest. God promises to make Zion prosperous beyond our meager efforts. He's going to make the church prosper. 
Verses 8 and 9 says, The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord. Those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Many double meanings here. You, you, you see that God says, you know, the Israelites were in a place where they were going to be captured and everything they had, everything they owned would be eaten and drunk by somebody else. They were to be taken into captivity in Babylon. But God says, that's not going to be forever. You'll, be, you'll eat your own. I will not forever give that to them. And actually it's going to come to the time where not only will you be eating and drinking in your own home, but you're going to be eating and drinking in my sanctuary. You're going to be eating and drinking with me. There's a beautiful picture in Revelation of the marriage supper of the Lamb where we are with Christ eating and drinking and enjoying being in His presence. We are the bride of Christ. We've been living in war zone and this war zone for over 2,000 years. But the day will come when God will establish Zion, the church, as the praise of the nations. There will be absolute peace and prosperity. No longer will the city gates be closed. Why? Because the enemies are gone. There's no reason for the doors to be closed. Why do we shut our doors at night? I have, I have to chuckle. I was at my mom's house this week, and I'm putting four new doorknobs on, two, two new doorknobs and two new deadbolts on. Front door is fine. It's a solid door, so I, I get that all done. I go to the back door, and I put the handle on, and then I go to put the deadbolt on, and I look. The deadbolt sits here, and the window sits right here. And I'm thinking, why are we putting a deadbolt on when the window could just easily be broken out and somebody reach in and unlock it? See, we, we do that. We, we shut our doors. We lock our windows. We lock our doors. At least some places do. I know there's still people in Austin who never lock their doors. I've had some people tell me, well, I never lock my door. I'm like, well, great. I can come rob you now. You know? <laughs> we don't. A lot of people don't lock their doors. Beth asked me this morning, you, we've got the camper out since we're going to be camping next weekend. I will be preaching next week. Um, and we're, we're actually going to pull the hymnals out. We're doing all the songs from the hymnals next week. So, you know... She says, did you lock the camper? And I'm like, why should I lock the camper? Well, so somebody doesn't break into it. I said, you know, there's Velcro all the way up the door. All you got to do is open the Velcro. You can reach in and you can open the door. We find security in closing things. Because why? Because the enemy is out there. Guess what? The day is coming where we'll no longer have to close the gates. Why? Because the enemy is gone. The enemy of your soul is no longer prowling around like a lying lion looking to who he's going to devour. For a thousand years, he's going to be chained in the bottomless pit. And after that, for eternity, he's going to be burning in the fires of hell. No longer causing us problems. The evil, the evil one and his minions are forever suffering, will be forever suffering in the fires of hell along with those that have chosen to deny God and live, they've decided to live for themselves instead of living for the glory of Zion. But grace has a final victory in verses 10 through 12. He says, go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones. 
Lift up the signal for my peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. We get this final victory. This final victory of grace. We have, we have victory, the grace is victory today when, when we overcome sin, when we tear down those strongholds in our lives. And, and when, we're, when we are redeemed, we have victory through grace. But a bit, even a bigger victory is coming. And it's not just some pipe dream and wishful thinking. The verbs that are used here are imperative verbs. And imperative verbs are action verbs. Behold, your salvation comes Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him, and they shall be called. These are all action words. The idea is that an authoritative command has been given by God, and if God gives a command, it's going to happen. That is his will. And Christ has prepared the way for us by dying on a cross. The way has been made easy. The stones have been moved away. They're out of our way now. Every person who desires Christ may come in. The living church of Christ is an entryway to the eternal city. The church is the entryway into the eternal city. Now, can you be saved outside the church? Yes. Should you be part of a church when you are saved? Yes, because that's how we grow. Can you grow on your own? Sure, but you won't grow like you're supposed to if you're doing it all by yourself. You need to be with other people who are also growing. Because iron sharpens iron. We're not a... Christianity is not like many... Some of, these, some of the world religions where you, you, know, you, you go off on your own and, and, and you sit quietly and you, you meditate and you search for the, your inner self. No. Christianity is, 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 a, is, a, is a belief that we get together and we grow together. We, we push each other. We hold each other. We support each other. We pray for each other. It's not a single belief system. It's a group belief system. We must be like the we, we must not be like the church at Sardis. I was thinking about churches, the seven churches, I think, and which one do we not want to be like? And this is what it says in Revelation three, one through three. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He says, I know your works. You have a reputation. Of being alive. They're doing good things. They have this outreach. They have that outreach. They're doing this ministry. They're doing that ministry. They're getting involved in helping the poor. They're getting involved in this. They're getting involved. They have a great worship band. They have a great. It's all good works. He says, but, but, whenever God says, but, you know, it's not a good thing. But you're dead. Wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Jesus is saying, you're not doing it at all. You're not doing what you think. You're focusing on stuff that doesn't really matter. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come against you. There are churches today that look alive. I mean, they are bursting at the seam. We're talking 5,000 people every Sunday morning. They look alive. 
But most of the people there are there just for that Sunday morning experience. Now, I'm not saying that every megachurch is in reality a dying church. I'm not saying that. There are some really good, large churches. But churches of 5,000 and churches of five must look at themselves and determine how they measure up against God's standards, not man's standards. Because our salvation is coming. The second coming of Christ is on its way. He's coming with his reward and with the consummation of salvation. We're going to see him face to face. We're going to be transformed instantaneously. And we're going to receive our resurrected bodies. And then Zion will be complete. Zion will be perfect. So how do we, what do we get from all of this? From Isaiah 62. We have to ask ourselves, are we for Zion or are we for ourselves? It's difficult. There are times I feel like I'm just doing stuff for myself. Or am I for Zion? We can't live for earthly things. We need to set our heart on the things that are to come, the things that are above, not on the earthly things that are in front of us. It doesn't mean we can't be concerned. You know, I, I, I plant my gardens. It, can't, it doesn't mean I, I can't I say, well, I plant my gardens, I'm just not going to worry about it. No, I need to water it. I need to do those things. But that can't be my whole life. Even if it's my job, it can't be my whole life. I have to set my sights on things that are to come. Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in Colossians 3. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. He says, if you're a believer, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on these things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Where's your focus? It needs to be on things that are above. It doesn't mean we can't enjoy the things of this world. It just means that our main focus needs to be Christ. We need to be involved in evangelism and missions. We can't afford to worry about what people think about us. We are instrumental to spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news to people. And for the sake of Zion, for the sake of the church, we cannot and must not remain silent. If you're in a conversation with somebody and they bring something up and you know that that is not right, what they're saying about somebody, what they're saying about God, what they're saying about the Bible, we need to kindly and gently correct them and ask them, hey, sometime can we have a longer conversation about this? We need to be willing to do that. We, can't, are not, we should not be willing to sit still and allow the church and allow God to be maligned by people. If, if, I, if I came up to you and I started, if I was in a conversation with a group of you and I started talking about your husband or your spouse or your grandkids or your children and I started saying bad things about them, how long do you think it would take before you'd stop me? Like that. Don't you dare talk about them that way. You don't know them. That's not right. But we will sit in conversations and we will allow, we will hear people talking, maligning our Savior. And we're, we don't say anything. I'm guilty of it too. We need to speak up. For the sake of Zion, don't be silent. 
We need to love the church. We need to be involved in the work of the church. We need to look at our prayer lives. What is going on in your prayer life? Are you praying for the church? Are you praying for living faith? For, for all the living churches in the world. Not just the ones that have living faith in their name. Which is amazing. I looked that up. There are a lot of churches that have living faith in their name. Are you praying for those churches who seem to be alive and in reality are dead? Are you praying that they return to Christ and they come back to life? Are you going to be relentless in your intercession? Are you going to pray until something happens? Spend time fasting and praying for the bride of Christ. And finally, in Ephesians 6.10, Paul tells us to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. See what this means? is This means embracing God's empowerment celebrating his triumphant victories, accepting God's presence in everything that we do. And you're like, wait a minute. You mean that when I'm sitting there cleaning the toilet, God is there with me? Yes. Did he not say, I'll never leave you or forsake you? Okay? So you mean that when I'm out there digging a hole or digging a trench in my bag, yes, God is with you. In everything. And being with God in these challenging times is what we need. We need Him by our side. Don't ignore Him. Love the church. Love God. Love people. Pray. Pray without ceasing and be strong in the power of the Lord and in His might. Let's pray.